welcome to the Just Believe Podcast. I'm your host, Herbie Mack. Look, this podcast is raw, authentic, and unstripped. We're going to turn these hard conversations into conversations. This is the only way we can break the stigma when it comes to mental health and suicide prevention. Now, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review, baby. I need them five stars. Sit back, enjoy the show. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Just Believe Podcast. Today, I am I'm truly honored uh, to come across this young woman whose story is powerful, but not only just her story, just her efforts in life is super, she's just talented, like naturally talented. Um, she's not only a, a musician, uh, but she's also a actress, an author, and she has a golden heart. You also have a nonprofit organization as well that I noticed. Um, the name of her book is called A Gift from Adversity. This young lady is Julie Love. How are you doing? Good, Harvey. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so honored to be here. No problem. No problem. Thank you. Um, you know, your story is outstanding. Um, the stuff that I was reading, and not only just the stuff that I, I was reading, but the conversation that you and I was having, I was truly touched. And I was just like, wow, sometimes in life, we don't realize that there are natural superheroes here. You know, people think of superheroes as like, you know, only in comic books, but you are. Uh, if, whenever you feel comfortable, would you like to share some of your story? Sure. So um, my name is Julie Love. Um, I am originally from Japan and I am a survivor of child sex abuse, domestic violence, uh, bullying and homelessness. And I recently published a book called A Gift from Adversity. And this was uh, published last year. Well, the subtitle is um, Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness, A Gift from Adversity. And it's published by my publisher, um, Book Logics, in um, Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, they've been wonderful. Um, so I launched my book last year, October 20th, and all um, on Amazon. It became a uh, number one new release in all three categories. And not only I'm an author, I'm also a journalist. I write for a local newspaper, the Sun Chronicle and the Factory Reporter. And then I am a musician, as I, as you said, I'm a piano player and I sing. And I'm working on my album called Love Frequency. And I've uh, toured, nationally toured before. And I model, act, uh, I just joined SAG, um, and I just did a big movie on Netflix, and it's coming out this year. I'm very excited with all the Hollywood mega giant stars. I don't know how I got the part, but me and my son actually got the part. Nice. And I'm a motivational speaker. I'm a Rotarian. I don't know your family, if you're familiar with Rotary Club, but I'm also a recipient of Heroes Among Us from Boston Celtics, volunteerism from the New England Patriots, and the uh, Paul Harris um, Fellow from the Rotary International. And I've done a ton of motivation speech uh, gigs. And um, sometimes I just don't know what I'm doing. I have a podcast. And I have a side hustle doing Lyft, Uber, um, DoorDash, whatever it takes, right? And then I'm a single mom too. So that's me. And then my uh, website is juilove, J-U-R-I-L-O-V-E dot com. And my Instagram is at Ju- uh, Panda. I don't, have, I don't have many followers on Instagram. So Not maybe- yet. Don't worry. 
Soon you will. <laughs> you will. You will. Yes. So you talk about the child abuse at like a young age. When did you realize, hold on, this is not, this is something's wrong. This is not right. Was it someone that's like, was it something that you felt internally or did somebody say, hey, this is not supposed to happen? Because as kids, we are taught a certain thing. You know, that's a good question. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that the, okay, first of all, uh, the word abuse really didn't come to me until maybe um, I was in 20s because I didn't know what sexual abuse, like, I didn't know what abuse was because it was just so normal to me and I didn't even, like, put two and two together and it wasn't education, there was no, like, platform people talked about in 80s in Japan in the small rural town that I grew up so I was getting beaten up or sexually abused but by that time between age 8 to 13 I had no idea what was going on in a way like no of course when you are getting beaten up like you know you feel pain but not necessarily that it's a term called abuse or maybe crime, I have no I had no idea. But I obviously it was painful. And then on top of that, the sexual abuse part, it was like three people in the household um who violated me and I thought it was kinda of like a normal activity in a way, like you know, tickling game or something, but like, you know, when you are touched um in like private areas and stuff Obviously, it, you're a human being, even if you're young, like you feel like a certain type of arouse. And, you know, I was introduced so early about some, you know, sexual inappropriate activities that I didn't know why I was like, you know, aroused. Um, so, like, I just had no idea what was going on. Absolutely no idea. But I knew that I have to, like, escape from the situation. Um, it was get, it was just getting escalated. Not only just the sexual abuse, but the physical abuse was getting so escalated to the point that I thought, if I don't do something about it, I I think I would die. And then it was just the instinct, more like animal instinct. But I was thirteen. Yeah. So, um, my parents got divorced when I was eight, but um, my mom was living in a different place. But I call, I remember calling her. It's in, it's part of my book. But I remember calling her and telling her that I need to meet her. And then, you know, I met up. I lied to my dad that, well, I kind of didn't lie. Basically, I, I was pretending that I'm going to, like, a volleyball club um, practice. But I took a train to meet up with her a little bit and then came back home at the normal time. So he had no idea. So I was planning escape, you know, but I had no adult to help me, except obviously my mom, but there's no advocacy group, there's no safe plan, all these things, the fancy things that I learned, like, recently, like, you know, in America. So it's a long answer, but I just didn't know, to be honest with you. You know, you, I'm, obviously, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but I, I'm glad that you was wise enough to, okay, let me try to go somewhere safe, right? Like, I got to trick my, my, my father 
and let me go to my mom, right? Like I'm gonna find a way where he not he's not gonna realize that I'm gone, and like too long. But let me talk to my mom. And how was that like process with your mom? Was she like consulting you, letting you know like we're gonna find a way to get you out of that situation? Yeah, she was definitely supportive in the way that um she went through the same situation. She's absolutely the victim of the domestic violence, and that's why she left. And I remember her getting beaten up by my dad, like growing up. Like I and then I I wrote that in my book too. Like I remember my youngest like memory of um her getting beaten up, and then me like you know feeling useless, like absolutely like you know didn't know what to do to help her and that was scary and frustrating so she was definitely supportive I, it, that that just warms my heart <laughs> it does because the relationship of of a, a of a child and a parent is so key right like you know you want to go to them and if something's wrong you want to know like they're here to protect you and I'm glad that she came to you with open arms and Surely, but you know, I, I would assume surely, but surely you was able to to get out that situation. And then what happened after this? So um, I said to live with my, mom, with my mom, but then um, when I, maybe a year and a half later or so that I um, told her about the sexual abuse and then she and then her husband at the time um, took a night and then said, um, we decided that you made it up and that broke my heart because nobody believed what I went through and so I tried to kill myself so I it's part of my book but I was holding knife cutting my wrist bleeding and then my mom for some reason came home she forgot something and then she found me bleeding and after that she put me on medication didn't work and then nobody really talked about PTSD back then. Yeah. Maybe she thought I was selfish and crazy. I almost dropped out of high school. But there was something happened um, in my life that, well, it's in my book, I Give Them Adversity, that I don't want to spoil way too much. But, um, yeah, something happened, and I, I had some epiphany and a realization, some event happened. And then basically... Um, I came to America with um, some program that I auditioned for, and then um, it kind of really changed my life course. But at the same time, when I came back to Japan after exchange program, long story short, I became homeless because my mom said I should be independent at age 18. So I was completely homeless in Tokyo. That's unbelievable. How... That is unbelievable. That's um, because I know like in America it's totally different. Like some parents are strict and be like, "Hey, at eighteen, you gotta go to college or you're out." Or if you don't go to college, you have to go to the army, try to figure it out. To be a little hard to try to give their child some guidance, but um, then you have some parents that's just like, "Hey, you can stay as long as you need to figure out what you want to do in life." Right? Um, for me, like once I turned like eighteen, I was like, "Mom." I'm out. Uh, I want to figure out life and, and understand who I am and what I want to become. Um, unfortunately, you had to go through something that was seemed harsh. Now that you was homeless, did you figure out like, okay, 
let me figure out a plan or, or did I have a friend to, to crash with or anything? Or you was just like, man, I have no connections here. I know it's in the book. <laughs> um, so what happened was um, I, I wrote some list of things um, in the chapter two um, process of what I did uh, when I was homeless. Uh, but it was 24 hours restaurant, like Daddy's, And then like, I, I paid a hundred dollars. No, 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 no. I paid hundred yen, which is a dollar, like a, a limited coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I stay there like between like three a.m. to six a.m. and there's like a no train. And then um, I stayed at the park. I stayed at my friend's house or like random guy. Um, it was a mess. It was just a mess. I'm glad you was able to pick yourself up because look, look at the woman that you became today. Like it's unbelievable, <laughs> you know. Thank you. Yeah, but I found a job at the resort hotel. Um, and then that provided shelter and a food and then I was able to work. So I was working from like 7 a.m. to like 11 p.m. every day and, um, serving 30 guests, like full course dinners. I learned how to clean, how to cook, and I had really nice, um, meals provided. And, um, then I saved money and made a down payment to rent my first kind of shady tiny apartment in Tokyo at Skirt of Tokyo and then I had no money Kirby and I remember that I couldn't even afford a comforter so I bought like a $30 sleeping bag <laughs> and I was sleeping in a sleeping bag in my apartment and it I sounds like the, the college experience when you're like okay I don't have enough money for anything but this is gonna do because that's what I had to do it was like yeah I can't afford a bed but I'm just going to get like this used foods on and just sleep on it and try to clean it up just to like, just to call. I, it was raggedy, but it was mine. But I felt comfortable with it. It was a place where I can, it was a place where I could lay my head. No, I, I definitely get that. Um, just fast forward just a little bit. As far as like now you kind of sound like you, you got a little things together now. It's like, all right, I got, got a little place. It's not the best. Was the P.S did still like happening or was you like i i since i left that situation was it gone or it was still because i feel like when we're home by ourselves there's certain demons that come out that we can't control or we may not know so how was that once you was like home alone are you talking about ptsd yes like 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 once you moved i i have to tell you harvey i didn't know the term of ptsd until i came to america and my, so I went to Berkeley College of Music. After being homeless, I got a good job. And then I saved about $30,000, got a scholarship and came to Boston. Um, and this is not in my book, but one of the semester I was really depressed. And then um, a school counselor told me that Jury, you have PTSD, and I'm like, what is PTSD? And that was my introduction to PTSD. So maybe when I was homeless or when I was going through hardship in Japan, but nobody was talking about PTSD back then. But now, interestingly, in 2011, when the big earthquake happened, a lot of TV stations of people are starting to talk about PTSD. Um, so instead of using a Japanese term, 
like you know they actually introduced us uh the japanese media like ptsd itself yeah so a lot of people were starting to recognize the word ptsd but again back then i had no idea panic attack or depression ptsd those are the words that i learned later on i mean like um when i was growing up i had no idea yeah yeah isn't it crazy because um you know growing up um my traumas happened in high school right and as i like I, you know, I'm originally from the Bronx. And as I leave to come to Tampa and try to figure life out, I was having crazy, like, things happening that I couldn't control. And it took it took me, like, I went to go see my doctor for a checkup. And and I was just like, hey, man, like, I don't know, I've been feeling sad or whatever. And they was talking about depression. I was like, yeah, yeah, I had a little bit of that, whatnot. And then he was talking about this term that I never heard of. I was like, a PT, what? A PT, what? What is that? And he was telling me about it. And he was like, it sounds like you're going through that. Have you ever um, looked into like being on any med- meds to help you with that? And before I can answer, I'm not even lying to you. Like he was already filling out a prescription for me. I was just like, nah, dude, like, like, nah, like, I don't think it's that bad. Um, but then I learned natural coping methods to actually help me overcome that trauma, which was so, uh, thank- thankfully I learned those natural coping methods. Um, but now that you're in America and you are doing Berkeley College, which is like the highest of the high, like everybody, everybody who loves music wants to go there. Um, how was that process? Like trying to, to get acclimated and get your, your foot in the door into like music or, or anything like that? Yeah, so I was taking a private piano lesson before. So I took a scholarship tour in Tokyo, and then I, I was given partial scholarship to come to Berkeley uh, while I was in Japan. And then uh, when I came to America and I started Berkeley College of Music, um, it was just surreal. It was just living my dream. It was incredible. I wish I could kind of go back to Berkeley life. It was so amazing there are so many amazing musicians from all over the world and i made so many fans from all over the world who have who are so passionate about music and i felt kind of alone in japan like you know i didn't have way too many musician fans but now i'm like like 100 percent, 200 percent surrounded by this talented musicians and it was heavenly and I slept like maybe two to four hours every day, and which discipline actually continues for coming to any years after. But we were like recording, we are rehearsing, we are practicing, and you know shows and like classes and like you know. But the oldest assignment was like so much fun, like say, um, like film scoring class or like you know contemporary writing in a class, like you know production class, it was so much fun so much fun um and i was just and then still like i have so many friends from berkeley college of music that i'm in touch with and then um right now i'm working on my album called love frequency which is really dope and um some of the musicians that i collaborated with uh from berkeley college of music and actually two of my friends are from my first semester of berkeley and then one is in Finland, Parity, who's a bass player, and one is Buffalo, Joe Gretty. Um, and then we were in the same, in some, I, I don't know if we had a class together, but we 
were in the same semester, we were doing a show together, I forced them to be in my band, <laughs> and, uh, it was so much fun, it, and then teachers were like phenomenal, like all the Berkeley teachers were like, I'm still in touch with some teachers and staff, they were just so lovely, and they are so passionate, and then obviously they are incredible musicians, and I learned, oh my gosh, so much. This sounds like therapy. this was your healing therapy that you needed. It's, you know what, Harvey? It wasn't like a healing process. It was just like um, living in my dream. Because, you know, I saved my money and I worked really hard to go to Berkeley. And I didn't buy any like fancy clothes or like, you know, went out to party or anything. I just strictly worked 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 saved money and it came to berkeley so it was really dream come true so i was like living in my dream every day so it wasn't even like a healing it was just like my super life and it was just like living in my dream i was so happy i was so happy every day oh i can imagine i can imagine um you know i love music um and I, I was trying to do the like music, um, the music producing thing, like, right. Um, you know, I had like logic, I had the machine, I had all this other stuff, but a keyboard and I wanted to make beats um, and like become a producer and, and eventually learn how to like play the piano. And for some reason I kept having blockage, right? Like crazy blockage. I couldn't perform the way I wanted to. And it never dawned on me that the trauma that I was carrying because I was hiding it so well, right? I was super, I was depressed for 10 years. Most of my close friends had no ideas. So when I was home and trying to practice, I kept getting frustrated and I couldn't see the music the way I wanted to, right? Like I couldn't see it. And then later on, right, after my breakdown and speaking to a um, psychiatrist, they was like, hey, the reason why you couldn't perform the way you wanted music is not because like you're not good at it, it's the trauma that you had in the past. It was finally coming out. So the thing that you really want, you have to learn how to overcome this. And luckily, I was brave enough to to sit down and figure out the triggers and overcome that. But I, I love hearing the fact that you was able to chase your dreams and not only chase your dreams, but become like that, that star that you are, you know, like, Hey, you know, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I want to sit down and I actually want to be around people who speak my language as far as music, because music is the most universal language of them all. <laughs> no matter what I can play, I can put down whatever notes on, on the, on the, um, on the music sheet. And if you're a mu musician, you can play it with no problem. Right. It's just like, it's just something about music that brings joy out of people that I love. That's why I was like, man, I want to produce beats because I want to make people happy. I want to make them feel well, how I feel deep down inside. This is outstanding. So after um, the college life, what happened? Like, did you try to figure out, okay, what's next? Like, should I open up my own studio? Should I join like a sort of band? Because you mentioned that you had a band earlier. Yeah, so um, my senior year at Berkeley College of Music was 2001, um, September to December, and then that 9-11 happened, and I felt like the, the world got upside down, and then um, I remember like feeling really compelled to do something impactful, and I think everybody else was too, 
and then so I started um, community service and I started a nonprofit after I graduated and it's called Genium Voices. And then I got my 501c3 and what happened was Herbie, I was reading a book in Japanese and I wrote a paragraph about a guy who taught journalism in the detention program in LA. And that was like a thunderbolt in my spine that, oh my gosh, that's so crazy, like amazing that I want to do something like that. So, and I thought about like the jail cell and I thought about the kids who are like kind of locked up and then like, you know, how like the music production can escape their mind to something else. And then that was my original idea. And then um, I started the Boys and Girls Club. Um, and then I eventually moved to the juvenile program, detention program. So I ran it for about 12 years and I closed it. Uh, a lot of things happened, but along the way, at some point we were providing free music lessons in four different detention programs in uh, greater Boston area, Massachusetts. And then at one point I was actually a full-time teacher at the maximum security and I was teaching blood and crypts and back and forth. Um, so it was very intense experience. And um, a lot a lot of times what I learned was um, so before sorry, before I go into details about genuine voices and along with that I was teaching music, I was playing piano for uh, Berkeley's voice department um, as an accompanist and I at one point I was on national tour with uh, the singer from the B-50s to B-52s, Kate Pearson. And then uh, I was singing background vocal and then had two keyboards and melodica. It was highlight, absolutely highlight of my rock star life. <laughs> and then, um, so, but I was always like teaching music and doing a non-profit musical theater. I, I've done some uh, musical director gig and you know, wedding, uh, GB band, like rock band, anything, <laughs> anything that came. Like I remember playing at the wine wine store for opening or like some political events, uh, like background music and you know, just anything that pays um, anything in music um, yeah. area. Like I've, I've done everything basically. Yeah, so then, but speaking of the nonprofit, like, um, Obviously, I never, I never ran nonprofit in my life, so it was definitely trial and error, and um, finding the ways along the way. But um, I've had, I would say, over a couple hundred volunteers throughout the years, and then from all over America and all over, like some some people are from um, different countries, and then. Um, I was invited to many different conferences and events to talk about my work. And at one point I was in Rome, Italy, uh, on a panel discussion of, uh, with the professors from South Australian University. And so throughout the nonprofit, I have met so many incredible people and so many incredible volunteers, interns, board members and in the community organizations who have supported our mission. So I'm very grateful and I learned so much from it. Oh yeah. Yeah. What you're doing seriously is impacting people's lives in a positive manner. Um, you know, me, I, um, I'm on a, also I'm a 
board member of a nonprofit organization as well that um, give back to to students who spread suicide prevention, right? And it's something that's powerful. I I love the fact that the younger generation knows about the language and how serious mental health is and suicide prevention is, and that they're doing their part to spread awareness. When I was in high school, nobody was talking about that. Nobody was, no, nah, there was like no numbers. There was no hard conversations about, hey, depression. I, I had to look up it depression in a encyclopedia to understand what it was because I'd never heard of it, right? Being in the urban situation, um, living in an urban situation, people, therapists, like you talk about seeing a therapist, people was laughing at you. So for you to sit there and turn your pain into joy to other people's lives to help them out is phenomenal. Like, honestly, it's phenomenal. And I love the fact that you are so brave to sit there, not only share your story, but actually like write about it just to help someone else out shows you the type of superhero that you are. Cause it, it's hard and it's difficult. Cause you know, some people in the world may judge you and be like, Oh, she's making it up or, Oh, he's making it up. And for you to be like, no, I'm not, this is my pain. People go through this. Let's actually talk about this. So this can, so we can prevent this from happening to someone else, daughter, wife, child, whomever. And it is, it's, and I, I love it. Like I love the brave, how brave that you are to be honest. And, and, and it's inspired me to like, okay, let me go out there and tell my story a lot more and actually use my voice, my platform to get other people to share their story. So these hard conversations, quote unquote, is just conversations. Yes, absolutely. And I appreciate you having me on your show. Because again, like, you know, this is a hard topic to talk about. And then I remember specifically, this is not in my book, <laughs> but I remember specifically talking to my publisher, Booklogics. Um, they have been just phenomenal. And uh, when I was having a conversation, um, the first time um, when my publisher called me and they gave me the publishing deal, she was asking me, so Jerry, what do you want to do with your book? And I remember specifically telling her, well, I want to go on a book tour and then the pandemic hit, so that didn't happen. But then um, I want to promote my book in a way that I want to be part of Me Too movement. And then also I want to create a safe platform that people can start a dialogue after reading my book and just talk about it. And also have a social pressure and notion about awareness and how it can really mess up somebody's life after the sexual abuse um like i was suicidal and then you know depressed ptsd all that stuff not just the actual event that happened to somebody but the long-term lifelong effect that's really that can destroy somebody's potential like life everything so i told my publisher each perpetrator carries six victims according to the hard data that when you focus on victims it's way too many of us but when you focus on perpetrator that's like no one six right so what would you do like how can you prevent this yeah and part of the genuine voices work was all these boys who can potentially be like my father or more like Violet that we wanted to heal, we wanted to show them how they can behave differently through 
implementing self-confidence, sense of ownership through music. So that was really our mission to prevent the crime, future crime, by changing or introducing inner strength. So I just want people to have this safe place to talk about depression, like no suicidal thoughts and you know, PTSD, sexual abuse, domestic violence. Those are hard things to talk about, but at the same time, it can start with the conversation. It can start with a platform like what we are doing right now for somebody to just come out and then say, oh, this is what happened. I can I can give you a very tangible example. So I was invited as a motivational speaker. And then it wasn't like a large audience, but um, after my speech was done, this man came up to me and then he confided me that he was also a sexual abuse victim. And then so were her, uh, his siblings. And he said he never really told anyone except me. And, you know, there may be two or three, unfortunately, people who came up to me that they were sexually abused from their parents, like me. And, like, even, like, today I was talking to somebody and then she shared something. And then I was invited to a different, you know, conference and then different places after I published my book. But not only that, like, personally, I've gotten a lot of messages from people that I'm also a victim, which I had no idea that he was or she was. And so in a way that it's a healing process that um, not only going to the counselor, but speaking to your friend and opening up about, you know, what you're going through. And then some people do get it. Some people don't get it. But that doesn't mean that they are supportive or unsupportive. They just sometimes don't know what to do with yeah, you. They don't know how to handle it. No, not at all. And, you know, sometimes um, people get overwhelmed by sharing way too much information. And then sometimes I feel like talking to a counselor like can be like really, really traumatic too. And then sometimes like talking to the counselor, like, you know, they are on clock on job. So even if you are like in the middle of like intense story, if they have like another client, they have to cut your story and then go and you felt like Like off. I'm finally opening it up and now you're like all right, but, your hours up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes counseling can be like, to be honest with you, traumatic. So I just really appreciate you having this platform and letting me speak about it. And then I heard a couple of your uh, talks on Instagram, and I think it's really brave of you. And then I think it's really important uh, for us victims or like survivors to have a place that people can really recognize, not just um, talk about it, but to recognize how sometimes the first step is to recognize that you're depressed. The sometimes first step is to recognize you like something happened to yeah. you. And sometimes when you are abused so heavily, like I said to you that I didn't even know the word abuse until later on life, later in life, like sometimes when you are in the middle of shit, that you don't really know what the heck is going on. And that is scary. Yeah. And that is preventable by education. I don't know if you heard of Darkness Delight. Oh, yeah. Um, so Darkness Delight has a website that you can actually pay $25 to get the certification. 
of the training so which i thought it was empowering um experience um because there was a section about teaching your child like genitorial part like private part as is like you know penis or vagina using those words are so important just like nose and mouth and just you know using those terms can prevent the sexual crime which i had no idea why because there was a case in the video training it was saying like you know some of the kindergarten girl was confining the teacher my dad ate my cookie because he was teaching her vagina as cookie so then you know she didn't know so what i'm saying is those kind of training like really opened my mind and then really empowered me in a way that i wish a lot of people take this training from darkness to light the people can really watch each other's back and especially for children's sake so uh, i'll put it in the show notes so people can check it out because yeah, i think that's powerful um you know with that like i'm grateful for for even like you telling me that like you know being a father myself i have two young kids so like i think it's important for me to like tell them what they are like hey this is this is this part this is this part so this way if my son my daughter comes to me and say hey such and such touch me in my private area okay now i know you know this happened let me go to the school and figure it out and and just spreading that awareness because we all know kids they don't lie they tell the truth like you know they're not trained like you know the older we get we learn how to to lie and and hide um you know whatever and get whatever we want but as kids it's like you know if you ask a 5 year old how your breath like you blow in their face and make oh your breath stink they tell you the truth like yo your breath stink like so teaching kids the right hey this is a penis this is a vagina let me know if somebody touch you there that's not supposed to touch you there correct is definitely powerful yes definitely so um unfortunately there's a history in our town that um a lot things happened so then we implemented as a bylaw uh that all the town employees within 90 days of employment they have to take darkness to light um training so plumber or like electrician like you no know, anybody who comes into public school buildings they have to go through the training and then show the certificate and otherwise they're not going to be employed and that's very strong so now um a lot of towns who had history of this educator or leadership maybe assaulted children um they came to ask our town how what we did how we did so now we are trying to pass from the state house uh legislator so that it can be statewide uh law that um everybody who's coming to the educational setting buildings have to go through this training and that's really powerful and that's one of the preventative things tangible things that anyone can do go to darkness light website and then get trained no i love it i love it well unfortunately we have to go but before we go do you have a message to tell anybody that's going through a difficult time right now um sure so i want to talk a little bit deep about void so when you are abused as a child and then when you have no anchor in your heart and then you feel the void you need to recognize that the void can't be outsourced and it's hard so my case is I went through like a lot of sexual sex addiction like 
relying on men and you know or friends and they sometimes like you know they stop talking to you or just you know gone and then you feel more void but then you have to realize the void that's created from the childhood trauma or any sort of trauma it can never be replaced because it's gone and you can't keep searching and keep getting like disappointed by it and it's it's a deep um thought that recently really happened to me and I got like really bad month last month it was a lot of panic attack and depression and even with all my accomplishments and achievements these things can happen because the trauma is so deep so my advice is that recognize the void why it was created and how deep it is and why you should not outsource and then you should really look inward one of my integration coach told me that you are the love that you seek that was really powerful so really trying to find the strengths in you and then no matter what people say to you or no matter what people has done to you that's really um, not who you are that's what happened to you and you have your own life mission and then you have your own strength and just live one day at a time and be alive thank you uh obviously before we go you know what you gotta do you gotta promote this book one more time come on now <laughs> yes a gift from adversity and tell them where they can find it at well you can find on amazon or booklogics.com and then the ebooks is uh, available on apple store and then also amazon and kindle this was phenomenal thank you for this i am super hype i love this episode until then guys we see you next time Peace. Today's episode of the Just Believe podcast. Thank you for listening. If you're currently going through a mental health challenge, don't be scared to look in the show notes and reach out to those resources. If people are going to put labels on you, tell them, look, labels are made for jars, not people. Whatever obstacles that's facing in front of you, you can overcome that as long as you just believe. Until then, I'll see you next week. Peace.